Well, let me give you my own Merry Christmas. I realize I didn't introduce myself earlier. My name is Wes, uh, one of the pastors here at Dunbar, and uh, glad to see you out here. Uh, glad to, well, not to see you, but you to see us here and uh, those online. Uh, we're going to do here now what we do each Sunday. We'll look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means and why it matters and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible, a Bible app, um, whatever it is, if you could turn to our passage today, which is from Luke 2 now. Luke 2, beginning at verse 8, we actually covered some of this uh, in our Advent candle reading this morning, but we'll look at it one more time. Luke 2, beginning at verse 8, if you found that and are able, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. This is what Luke records here. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you great new, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. This is God's word. May be seated. Let me pray for us once more quickly and then we'll dive into this passage together. Spirit of God, we ask now that you would come and open your word to us. Illumine the preaching of your word as we come to it. Um, open our eyes, our minds, our hearts, our ears. Help us to receive and be open to whatever it is you want to reveal to us today through this word. We believe this is a living word. This is a word that uh, speaks and pierces through any darkness, any walls, any resistance. And God, as you do that, as your word promises, I pray that you would accomplish the purpose for which you sent out this word today. As I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Amen. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. The sound of his roar or sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death, and when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. These, if you didn't recognize it already, this is, this is part of the prophecy that Mr. and Mrs. Beaver recount about Aslan to the young human visitors of Narnia in C.S. Lewis's classic, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've never uh, read those books, seen the films or whatever, Narnia, it's this enchanted land filled with fawns and, and unicorns and, well, I guess talking beavers, um, all kinds of things like this. Uh, it's a land, though, that has been also taken over by a wicked queen named Jadis, whose curse over the land causes it, as it's said, to be always winter and never Christmas. But Lewis, intending these books to actually be uh, a gospel allegory in, in many ways, Lewis also writes into the story the character of Aslan, a large, powerful lion who is really the Christ figure of the stories and whose coming breaks the curse of the witch and signals the end of Jadis' reign. 
But something important to notice about this prophecy Mr. Beaver recounts to the children is what it reveals about Aslan in particular. Because over the course of the books, we, we learn all kinds of different things about Aslan. It's revealed to us that he is a, a lion. Uh, it's revealed at one point in another place that, that he also has a divine, magical nature. Um, and also, at one point, Mr. Beaver even exclaims, he's the king, I tell you. But if you think about it, all those things have to do with who Aslan is, whereas what this prophecy reveals in particular about Aslan has almost nothing to do with who he is and almost everything to do with the purpose of his coming. That is, the the deliverance that he would bring about by his coming. So we've been going through this Advent teaching series over the last number of weeks, looking at these incredible angelic announcements about the birth of Jesus to various different people that are recorded for us in Luke's gospel. We began by looking at the announcement of the angel Gabriel to an elderly priest named Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a baby in their old age. And what that angelic announcement revealed about Jesus, their their son who was coming, John the Baptist, what that revealed about Jesus was that he was coming. Next, and actually over the last three weeks, we looked at the announcement of this same angel, Gabriel, to Mary, Jesus' mother. And it showed, uh, as he said to her, she would conceive in her womb and bear a son. And what that angelic announcement revealed was three things, actually. That Jesus would be human, the son of Mary. That he would be divine, the son of God. And that he would be the king, as Dave talked about last week, the son of David. This week, we're looking at one last angelic announcement from Luke's account of the Christmas story. From this relatively well-known passage in Luke chapter 2. It's well-known passage, particularly if you've ever watched Charles Schultz's classic Charlie Brown Christmas. If you remember near the end of the story, right, Linus gets up and just recites this passage verbatim. He just knows it offhand in response to Charlie Brown's desperate plea. Would someone tell me what Christmas is all about? He recites this passage. And as we see clearly in verse 11, if you look with me there, What this last angelic announcement reveals about Jesus in particular is that he is a savior. He is a savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. Now, a savior of whom? And and saved from what? Great questions. Great questions. I'm glad you asked. We're going to dig into each of those things as we look at our passage this morning. But big picture. Big picture, the most important thing to keep in mind about this revelation of Jesus, as Jesus later says of himself in Luke 19.10, is that while human, divine, the king, that all reveals who Jesus is, Savior reveals the purpose of Jesus coming. It reveals the, the deliverance that Jesus would bring about with his coming. In order to help you see that for yourselves, and honestly, way more than that, in order that each one of us here today and online and whoever listening to this by God's grace, we might experience Jesus as the Savior ourselves personally. I want to look at this passage this morning in just two simple ways. We're going to talk about the need of a Savior and then the mission target of a Savior. Okay? The need of a Savior, the mission target of this Savior. So if you close your Bibles, your Bible app, open them again with me, follow along and, uh, as we look at this passage, Luke 2, beginning at verse 8. As we look at this last angelic announcement and consider all that it reveals about this baby born in a manger, both to those who first received this announcement 2,000 years ago 
as well as all that it still reveals about him to us today. Okay, so let's look first of all at the need of a savior. The need of a savior. And just to begin, just to kind of get us into this, if you've noticed, if you've been with us over the last number of weeks or you just know how these angelic announcements kind of go, you might have noticed there's a little bit of a pattern to how these things actually happen each time. Uh, The angel appears, uh, whoever they've appeared to uh, is terrified. Angel tells them not to be terrified. Then they're given the angelic announcement itself and then given a sign that kind of uh, corroborates or, or, or verifies that this is actually what's gonna happen. And, and if you read here, this is the exact same pattern we see in our passage today. The one kind of major difference, however, being that unlike every other recipient of these angelic announcements, you might have noticed, the shepherds ask no follow-up questions. There is no how will this be or what do you mean in a manger? There's no follow-up questions at all. And sometimes I wonder, Maybe not, but sometimes I wonder if along with the worship of God for enacting his plan of salvation promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden, the reason for this angelic choir wasn't also to celebrate the fact that finally somebody had just taken God at his word and just received the good news of this baby who had been sent from his angel or that the angel was announcing without questioning it. Just saying, okay, amazing, that sounds great, let's go check it out. And hear me, that's not for a moment to suggest that, that being a follower of Jesus means we just need to shut up and don't ask any questions. Not at all. Absolutely. Uh, the questions are, are welcome and important. It's how we learn. But what I also know from firsthand experience as a father is just how good it feels when you do something for your children out of the goodness of your heart, the desire to, to bless them, and it's just received just received gratefully, and in the spirit in which it was given, I I don't know about you, but more and more in my own life, uh, as I think about how I want to grow in my faith, what I want to do more and more in my own life is I want to bless God with my trust. That I would just say, okay, whatever he reveals to me and shows me, uh, whether or not I feel like I can understand what he's up to at any given moment. But having said that, Uh, The fact remains, the aspect of what Jesus, uh, this revelation from heaven reveals about Jesus, that he's a savior, and an entirely logical question to ask that maybe you or I would have wanted to ask if we were in this same position as the shepherds ourselves that night is, okay, why? Why is it that we need a savior at all? Like if your house is on fire and the fire department shows up, that's a good thing. You're, you're, you're grateful, and that makes sense. But if the fire department shows up to your house and there's no fire whatsoever, you're just confused and probably annoyed. But the reality is this. Just as I've kept mentioning over the last number of weeks how Jesus needed to be both fully man and fully God in order to accomplish the purpose for which he came, in that announcement to Mary, what this angelic announcement is saying to us is that saving To be a savior is that purpose for which Jesus needed to be both fully God and fully man. This is the purpose for why he came and why he needed to be both those things. And the reason why Jesus needed to be a savior is actually revealed to us in the angelic announcement itself. If you look there, you see both with the titles, Christ and Lord, applied to Jesus as the savior, as well as the peace on earth that the angels sing will result from his saving work. That kind of reveals to us why Jesus needed to be a savior. 
Because first of all, Christ, although that can often be mistakenly thought of as Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ, um, it actually, if you didn't know, is a title. Christ is a title. It's the, the Greek word Christos, which translates the Hebrew word Messiah, or the anointed one. So this is a title of, of who someone would be, and then Lord, the Greek word kurios, which although often used uh, to honor and show respect for people in the first century, was also the Greek translation of Yahweh, which was God's divine name given to Moses from the burning bush and how he was to be known. So these titles are applied to this baby who's coming. And then it's understanding, in understanding that specific identity of this Savior as the Messiah who is the Lord, we can begin to understand the peace on earth that this baby who's coming is going to bring about on those with whom God is pleased. Because the coming Messiah was not primarily related to, like the, the reason for his coming wasn't related to rescue from invading foreign nations. It wasn't rescue from any kind of physical threat in particular. But first and foremost, the Messiah's coming was to bring peace between a broken relationship between God and his creation that had originated all the way back at the beginning of time. For what the opening chapters of Genesis reveals is God as the loving creator of everything. He is the one who created the universe. He created the earth as well as everything on it and everyone on it. But although the relationship with God and his creation was once good, it was once beautiful and open and without any fear whatsoever, when sin enters into the world as a result of mankind's rebellion against God, all of a sudden that beautiful open relationship is fractured. We became fearful and hostile, both of God as well as one another, or to say it another way, using Lewis's kind of Narnia analogy or allegory, the springtime of God's good creation gave way to a cold, harsh winter of discontent. We could no longer remain in the closeness of God's presence because war had broken out between us now. But even as God removed Adam and Eve from the garden in which he had once walked so closely with them, God made a promise. He made a promise that one day he would send a rescuer who would break the power of sin's curse. He would fix what was broken between their relationship or to use the language of J.R. Tolkien, he would make everything sad come untrue. And what this angelic announcement from our passage today was revealing is that this baby, this Savior who is both the Messiah and Lord is that promised rescuer. Which means that the peace he'd ultimately come to bring, first and foremost, was not peace between us and others, peace between us and other nations, peace between us and God. That is primarily the peace that he came to bring. Now all those other things I pray will result because of that. But that is first and foremost why he came. Said simply, you and I, we were designed for relationship with God. He made us that way. Sin is the thing that keeps us separated from him, keeps us at war with him. And what Jesus came to save us from was eternal separation from the one for whom we were designed to be in relationship with. But that's the thing. And, and here's why this matters so much for us today. These shepherds that we read about in Luke 2, they responded joyfully to this angelic announcement because they understood the connection 
as well as the implications of what the angel was announcing about this baby. They, they saw it and understood it. And because they understood their need for a savior, I mean, this was a rescue that was promised from the beginning of time. It was the rescue God's people had been waiting for, looking for, longing for. So they understood all that. They got it. And so when they heard the announcement, that savior has come, they rejoice joyfully and go and check it out right away. But when you talk about this baby, whose birth we're still celebrating 2,000 years later, and, and that purpose for which he came today, if people even understand that that's what Christmas is actually about to begin with, rather than responding with joy, people often respond either with indifference or with indignation at the idea of Jesus being a savior. Why? Well, because they see neither the connection, they don't know any of those, that history or that stuff, nor do they see any need for a savior whatsoever. What do you mean I need to be saved? Saved from what? I mean, Jesus as a teacher of religion and ethics, sure. Jesus as, a, as an example of sacrificial love and humility, fine. But Jesus as a savior seems as, as pointless and offensive to many as the fire department roaring onto your lawn, sirens blazing at 1.30 in the morning when there's no fire to be saved from. Just like, why? And yet, while the offer of a savior to someone under no threat of danger whatsoever, yeah, undoubtedly, it's meaningless, perhaps even offensive, certainly annoying. Although that's all true, sometimes the arrival of a savior is the very thing that alerts you to a danger you weren't even aware that existed. Just the fact that a savior shows up means there's something to be saved from. So yeah, sometimes the carbon monoxide detector, it's malfunctioning. Maybe the batteries are dying, whatever it is. Sometimes the dog is really barking at nothing. It's true, and that's annoying, it's frustrating, all that. They're just disturbances. But sometimes those seemingly pointless, frustrating disturbances are alerting you to a danger that you didn't yet know existed and that if you remained unaware of could cost you everything. So I don't know, maybe you need Jesus to be your savior and maybe you don't. But rather than just simply dismissing your need to be saved out of hand as irrelevant or offensive, maybe Jesus' presence as a savior at all is worth at least the same level of deep, deeper investigation you'd give to a carbon monoxide detector going off at 1.30 in the morning. Even if it's not the joyful exploration of the shepherds. The presence of a savior may be revealing to you a threat and a danger that you didn't even yet know existed. I think it's worth at least that. Okay, so that's the need of a savior. That's why we need a savior. We can talk more absolutely about whether or not you believe that that's a need you actually have or not, but at the very least, that's the Bible's explanation of why Jesus comes as a savior. Last thing I want to look at with you from this angelic announcement is the mission target of the Savior. The mission target of the Savior. And, and this is the part of the angelic announcement that is truly good news of great joy for all people. And why, I'm pretty sure as I looked back over my like preaching history, I think I've preached about this passage every Christmas at least once because I love it so much. First and foremost, because when that angel comes and says, I bring you good news of great joy, that's actually the Greek word euangelizo. It means uh, uh, that it's the word that we use for preaching the gospel. 
So what it really means, the angel is saying, I bring you a gospel of great joy that's for all people. And then even beyond that, what, what's happening? What, what he's revealing about this good news of great joy? Because when you think about a rescue mission, rescue missions that maybe you hear about on the news, you see in movies, you know, whenever one of Liam Neeson's kids happens to get kidnapped or whatever, whenever there's a rescue mission that needs to take place, the people being rescued are super important, right? They're like a dignitary of some kind, a politician, some wealthy person's child, whatever it is. Those are the people that get rescued, right? Like if you or I are traveling overseas and we get taken captive, uh, the Canadian government might apply political pressure to free us and stuff like that, but they're not sending a military strike team to extract us, right? That, that's, that's probably not happening. But in a passage like this that Luke fills with all kinds of contrasts, Blinding light in the middle of a dark night sky. Joy where there is fear. The most surprising contrast of all is the way uh, extravagant, overwhelming angelic announcement begins in this passage in verse 8 there with this. And in the same region there were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now we read that and most of us think nothing of it. Right? If you grew up in church, you probably played a shepherd at some point uh, in, a, in a Christmas play. Maybe you've seen kids playing these roles with, you know, the bathrobes and tea towels on their head or whatever it is. We, we, we've seen that. And, and because we've seen that so much, most of us, we hear about this angelic announcement coming to shepherds and we don't think anything of it. It's cool. Wow, that's awesome. But it's a regular, normal, expected part of the Christmas story. But when you look back at the history in the first century and realize that shepherds were some of the most lowest, untrustworthy people in Jewish society at the time, it suddenly changes the picture for us. The nature of their profession as shepherds kept them from participating in corporate worship in the temple. So they were ceremonially unclean people. You couldn't be around them. They were notorious thieves. One commentator said they, they were those who constantly confused mine with thine. And they were also not able to give uh, testimony in court. Their, their testimony was not seen as reliable. This is the kind of people we're talking about. Not to mention the fact they probably didn't also smell that great. Uh, out there living among the sheep all this time. And yet, look at this. To some of the lowest, humblest outcasts of Jewish society comes the angel of the Lord, comes the host of heaven, bringing them the announcement of Jesus' birth. Saying, look at this, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto you. And then they get their own birth sign. This will be a sign for you specifically. Go to this town. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, it's not that the, the message is only for them. But it's this personalized greeting from heaven itself for them specifically, these people. And honestly, man, this is the part of the story of Christmas that just fills up my heart with so much joy and excitement, and it also convicts me at the same time. Brings me joy because here's the thing, yes, there's many people today who are either indifferent or offended at the idea of Jesus as a Savior because they feel they have no need of a Savior. But on the other end of that spectrum, how many people uh, today dismiss the idea of Jesus as a Savior because they feel unworthy of being saved? Why would he ever come for someone like me? 
So I'm, I'm encouraged and overwhelmed with gratitude as I see the most extravagant of all birth announcements about this Savior's birth brought not to kings, not to priests or, or the, the worthy, those who kept the rules by the standards of that day, but to liars and thieves, to the least and the lowly. Because I won't speak for you, man, but when I think about the way I've lived my life, when I think about my own worthiness of God himself taking on human flesh and then offering up that flesh on a cross to sacrifice for me, to make peace between me and God, it fills me with hope. It fills me with incredible hope because if unto them, the least and the lowest, a Savior was born, then maybe, just maybe, he's born unto me as well. But like I said, I'm also deeply convicted when I read this because we don't, we don't necessarily have a great history as the church. As God's people in generally, as I think of myself, my own life individually, how many times have we been the ones who have caused someone, some community of people to feel unworthy of the rescue that Jesus came to bring to all people? You know, clean up your life first. Stop, stop doing that behavior. Stop this, whatever it is. And then the rescue message is for you. We do the exact opposite of what God does. We kind of select who is worthy of receiving the message. In fact, thinking of this whole idea of Jesus' offer of rescue to the outcast, if you didn't know already, you just forgot. When Jesus talks about the Son of Man coming to seek and to save the lost, that passage that I referred earlier to in Luke 19, you know where that comes from? It's from the story of Jesus' offer of rescue to another outcast from the worthy of society named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector for the occupying Romans who daily betrayed and defrauded his own people as he lined his own pockets. And yet just as the angel of the Lord brought a gospel of great joy unto shepherds, Jesus brings an offer of friendship and of restoration to Zacchaeus. I'm coming to your house today. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. In fact, if you read through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, again and again, at least eight times out of ten, those that you see Jesus reaching out to and rescuing are not the religious, are not the important, are not the well-off in society, though no, no doubt Jesus came to rescue them as well. But you see him reaching out to the lowly, the outcasts, the untouchable ones, the ones that the religious people said weren't worthy of his rescue. And I think the question we need to ask ourselves in light of who this angelic announcement is brought to as well as Jesus' own example is whether or not that is representative of how we live and how we minister in this city as those who are benefactors of Jesus' unmerited grace ourselves. As we seek to be those ministers of gospel renewal, does this describe how we bring that, that offer of rescue to all? to the important, to the nobodies, to the rejected, to those who are acceptable. God knows we've all got more than enough self-condemnation going on as it is. May God forgive us. May God forgive me 
for every place where I've been the one who helped convince someone they were unworthy of the very rescue that I was unworthy to receive myself. We've been given an incredible picture over the last four weeks of who this baby whose birth we're still celebrating 2,000 years later is. And now, through this angelic announcement we've looked at today, the, the purpose of his coming as well, looking at that in particular, we've been given just an incredible picture in these angelic announcements. It's a revelation from God through his angelic messengers that continues to resonate, that continues to reverberate through the centuries and which remains good news, remains a gospel of great joy even to this day. And it is for all people. And as we transition out of Christmas celebrations, because, yeah, that's yesterday, right? We transition out of Christmas celebrations and into a coming year filled with so many questions, so many uncertainties still facing us. I pray that the revelation about Jesus' true identity, as well as what we looked at today, particularly the purpose for why he came as a Savior, would continue to have an impact and continue to have significance in our lives in the coming days and in this coming year. For some who perhaps are indifferent or hostile to the idea of Jesus as a Savior, my prayer for you today and in the coming days is that like the shepherds, you'd be willing to at least investigate the offer of Jesus as a Savior. To consider the fact of whether or not the presence of a Savior at all isn't alerting you to a threat that maybe you didn't know existed yet. And for those who know their need of a Savior and have received this gospel of great joy for themselves, my prayer for you and for me is that our awareness of all of our unworthiness to receive this rescue would fill our hearts both with gratitude as well as a generosity of heart. Gratitude because we ourselves were unworthy, but also a generosity of heart to now basically take on the ministry of those angels ourselves. And be those ones who proclaim that same good news of great joy to others. Those who may be unaware that this Savior who is Christ the Lord was born unto them as well. Amen. Amen.